podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the King and AI podcast. My name's Kelly Cates and you'll be listening to my dad, uh, Kenny Dalglish, on this podcast and getting his thoughts on football issues about Liverpool, but also about other things as well. And the reason the podcast has come about is because of our family's charity, the Marina Dalglish Appeal, which was set up to raise money to help cancer patients and their families. So if you'd like to support that, that would be fantastic. As much as it's about raising awareness, it is also about the financial support, if possible. If you want to donate, you can go to anfieldindex.com slash MDA, or you can go to the Marina Dalglish Appeal website to find out a little bit more about the charity and the work that they do. It's worth having a read about. It's a really great charity and it's something that's very close to all our hearts. Enjoy the show. The Premier League season is over but not the season itself. And let's be completely honest here, not many of us thought we'd be saying that just over one week ago. So Kenny Dalglish said before the second leg at Anfield there was still a glimmer of hope, and if we pulled it off it would be the greatest comeback of them all. This is the King and AI podcast, I am Eddie Gibbs, and joining me as ever here on Anfield Index Pro is none other than the man whose glimmer of hope turned into a whole vault full of gold bullion. Yes, it's my distinct privilege as ever to welcome back Liverpool legend Sir Kenny Dalglish. How are you, Edward? I'm very well, Sir Kenny. Uh, you've been uh, up most of the games, as we were just saying off air there, so you've not needed to be watching on TV, but fine weather to be watching games, and the quality of uh, what's been on the field has been pretty good as well. Been excellent. And I get caught at the game looking at my phone. I was only trying to check up to see if uh, Man City had scored, but I couldn't get a reception. <laughs> so that's why I was a wee bit overindulgent. But, uh, First world problem. It, it's been... No, they've been fantastic, the players, so but I'm and, sure we'll get on to that, Edward. Yeah, lots to, lots to get through. And joining us ever is the very busy head coach of Miami FC, uh, Mr. Paul Dalglish. And I thought I'd be right in saying, Paul, a mixed bag of results for Miami uh, so far this season. Uh, a bucket load of goal with, goals, though, with recent 10-0 and 7-0 wins for you all. Yeah, we, we, we won 10-0 and then unfortunately got knocked out the cup and then bounced back and won 7-0. So the, the players are in. It's it's a real pleasure to watch them play at this moment in time. It's it's fun to be um to be on the sideline watching them play. They're playing some some sensational stuff. So really really happy at the moment with the way the team's gone. Yeah, well, good luck to you as the season progresses. Everything just winding down here now, and uh, you'll be the only person I know, I think, who's uh, who's busy uh, in the football uh, football uh, trade uh, after the first of June. So uh, I look forward to hearing all about your stories as the uh, as the summer progresses. The uh, now before we get into the football chat, and as Kelly said at the top of the show, there the objective of this podcast is to raise awareness and help with fundraising for the Marina Dalglish appeal. And once again, we'd like to thank everyone for continuing to donate to the uh, to the charity. And I'd encourage you all, if you can, to head over to AnfieldIndex.com forward slash MDA and pledge whatever you can, even if it's just a small amount, using the monthly donation option to help uh, boost funds for this uh, fantastic appeal. And Kenny, on the charity front, I saw you had the golf clubs out uh, last week at the British Masters. Pro Am alongside Tommy Fleetwood and uh, MDA raising an incredible fifty five thousand pounds through people's generosity at the event. Yeah, uh, as I say, the, the generosity of the people is, is it doesn't cease to amaze you how supportive they are. Um, and it was fantastic for uh, the European Tour, to, or it was Tommy actually who suggested we be one of the the two preferred charities. Uh, the other one being Clear House, which is fantastic for. For people as well, they really do a fantastic job then. So it was great for us. It was only across the road. Uh, we could turn up and we could even enjoy ourselves with a, a wee game of golf. Although I wouldn't say the score was, would suggest that we enjoyed ourselves, but it was, uh, it was enjoyable. And the event was fantastic. And Tommy Fleet had done an unbelievable job in promoting it and supporting it and helping the, the local community. And, uh, it really deserves, every applaud that you can think of because uh, it was a great event. The weather, Thursday, no too good, but it got better as the week went on and it was almost like four days of sell-out golf. So, more importantly, well, more importantly, how much golf gear did you manage to acquire from the trucks, the tour trucks? But that's confidential. That could not be... <laughs> 
That could not be divulged, Paul. That's that. That's the main thing you look forward to with these tournaments: is how much golf gear you can acquire, and how it's a competition between you and Hanson who can get the most. No, no, really. We just enjoy taking part. <laughs> you like taking free stuff. That's what you like. Yeah. Who who won this time then? You or Alan in the in the three golf stakes? No, I tell you what happened. We uh, the, there was a event there in the village. Uh, at the golf called uh, Megapot and uh, Lauren was doing it your sister was doing it for, for us and Claire House were there in case I didn't know and, who Lauren was no in case everybody else never knew see I think I think out the box that you don't you're just very narrow minded so <laughs> that, uh, Lauren was over there and it was Callaway sponsoring it and they were giving the prizes away Uh and after like two days, they run out of prizes. So Big Al raided his cupboard and got a couple of hats and three towels. Uh, but we managed to get Callaway golf balls and give them out as a prize. So everything went down well. It was the the whole event was brilliantly well received, and everybody enjoyed doing a little bit for for the MDA. Yeah, brilliant story. And there was some brilliant, brilliant uh, stuff on Twitter, social media and the news regarding that event. I'm glad the weather did change. I, I was speaking to Mark Lawrenson on the podcast last week. He said he was going to go along, but uh, the weather didn't look good. So I'm glad uh, everything turned around there and you did manage to uh, to get that event on and, and raise so much money for both uh, MDA and for uh, for Clare House, two amazing causes. And well done again uh, to Tommy Fleetwood for, for making all that happen. Uh, a brilliant gesture from a from a fantastic golfer. On to the football, and uh, we're going to talk about the Champions League, then we're going to talk about the Premier League. I can't resist the opportunity to talk about the Champions League first, uh, in the interest of taking us all back to that euphoric and incredible night Anfield last week. Uh, Liverpool 4, FC Barcelona nil, and a certain Kenny Dalglish looking very emotional and jubilant in the uh, director's box, singing away, I think, to You'll Never Walk Alone at the end. And you said beforehand it would be the greatest comeback of them all. Is that still your overriding emotion after the event? Well, I'd just like to clarify something, Eddie. I wasn't singing, I was only miming. <laughs> <laughs> I was only miming. No, I think... Uh, the new Millie Vanilli. I know, and he's yes. got—he's a man with number one, number one chart hits as well, isn't he? This is the thing that this is the thing that's often escapes the listeners. He's not just a, a famous football manager, Scotland player, and Liverpool player. He's also a chart topping, chart topping pop star as well. Yeah, but also minding those records. Oh, <laughs> I didn't, oh, yeah. I, I, I was a mime, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh gee, where's your Millie Vanilli? Sounds like about the right, right, right comment there, then, Paul. Well, nobody's far away. There you go. But the thing, I think. Uh, I, I think the first leg in Barca, the the result wasn't a reflection on the the game, and it certainly wasn't a, a reflection on the way the boys played. Um, and I think, although it was three 0 I think the big important factor was that Dembele missed a, a real good opportunity, right at the final whistle, just before the final whistle. And if we, if it was four 0 that'd have been a wee bit more difficult to get through, but. Uh, Gone back to Anfield three down, and I, I just thought that that was going to be achievable, even if it took extra time. But to be fair, um, the performance they put on at Anfield more than matched the one that they put on at, at Barca. And when you consider you're without Firmino and uh, Mo Salah, it just shows you the importance of the substitutes and the quality of the squad that's at the disposal and also the attitude and the desire and the feeling they have for the club to put so much effort and commitment into getting a result and although it was a great night it was huge celebration and everything else there was also a wee bit of disbelief in people's faces I mean it, everybody knew you were through and it was 4-0 but it was actually as if are we sure this is happening is somebody going to waking us up in the morning and tell us I was only dreaming that it's time to go to the match. But they were they were brilliant and it, they thoroughly deserved a victory. And Paul, you've already spoken about this game on, on Tactics Weekly. Uh, obviously, he came out with some, some real good points on the game. But that 
there's very few times as a Liverpool fan over the years that I've not been able to sleep after a game. And I, I don't know if it's an adrenaline thing as a fan or what, but that was one of them. I really struggled to sleep. I think I maybe managed an hour or two at about 6am uh, after that Barcelona match. And uh, I think the last time that happened was perhaps the Dortmund one or certainly after uh, Istanbul. I, w- I was like that as well. Is that is that the same feeling for you as a fan? Do you, do you look at it as a, do you watch these games as a coach first, a fan first? How, how does that work for you? A little bit of both. Um, I, I watch it really as both because I'm a fan and, and I'm a coach. Obviously, it's not my team, but it's it's probably the only team that I get to to watch on a consistent basis and see the progress. So I, I, I really watch it as both. And my dad said there that he thought Liverpool could to come back to Anfield and and, and turn around the three nil uh, win. And he's a lot more confident than I was because that. Listen, it was it was so improbable that that could happen, especially if you think if, if Barcelona had just scored one, which you you know you would have thought that they they might have with the players like Messi and Suarez in the team, they might have at least got one chance to to put it away, and they did. They just never took it. Uh, it Liverpool would have needed five. So what what the players achieved, I think my dad and I spoke afterwards um, without repeating the tactics and, and going over all the information. I, I do think it's the best ever a European night at Anfield and I, I don't think it can, can be compared to Istanbul because you, you don't win a trophy at the end of it but undoubtedly the best ever night at Anfield in in, uh, in the history I think of the state I think I think why that would be correct Paul is because you look at the status of Barcelona in the footballing world I mean the in many places revered as the best club side in the world and we've turned them over 4-0 uh, it doesn't get you can't do much better than that can you no you can't Dad. You so can't. And whoever else whoever else comes along and repeats that if it, even if it was a three goal deficit and winning four unless they're ranked or revered as as widely as what Barca are I, I don't know how you can beat it I honestly don't. But as you say, when it's a final, when it was Istanbul, and when somebody put that lovely trophy with the big ears in your hands, then that is an achievement as well. Yeah, the, the thing is that that, that, AC Milan, that that AC Milan team was the best team in the world at that time as well. Yeah. Um, and I'm saying that was a huge achievement as well. Getting it. But if you... If you uh, minimise it and you say it's the best night at, at Anfield well we've not been present at them all but um, I would have thought that that's going to take a bit of being well, here's, here's and I just hope been... Ian, by the way I just hope that I'm there when it does get beaten <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying you've not been at them all Dad, but you've been at a fair few you've been involved in a fair few is it fair to say it's the best one you've seen it's the best one I've seen and it's the greatest yeah. achievement of any of the other ones that have gone to Anfield, I think. Yeah. Because you're the stature of the team that they beat. Yeah. Last thing on this on that game, because I've you, you mentioned that Liverpool didn't deserve to get beat 3-0 and the chance at the end. Liverpool also had a chances in that game that if they'd have taken, then they'd have got the away goal. But I, I don't think it was a... It certainly wasn't a 3-0 game in... The scoreline wasn't fair in Barcelona. I don't think four 0 was fair to Barcelona at Anfield. But I don't no, think maybe there's it any doubt. That, I don't maybe. think there's any doubt that Liverpool were the better team over two legs. And I don't think there's any doubt. Paul, I think also, which hasn't been I've not seen in too many public places, the respect that the Barcelona fans showed the Liverpool players when they were walking on the pitch at the yeah. end. They stood and applauded him. And also, the president of Barcelona uh, came up and said, congratulations, well done. You were the better team in, in Barcelona and you were also the better team tonight. You thoroughly deserve to be there. And I thought... <coughs> I thought he, he said that to you? That's, <coughs> aye. Nothing to do with me, but that's, that's what he said to me. No, and I thought, that's a class act. No, he might, he might have been talking <coughs> about you singing. He never heard me. <laughs> well, I don't think anyone did if you were miming. <laughs> but I thought that was I thought that was uh, an example to any football people, supporter and 
president to say, at least we're honest enough to say what we think. And, and that, but that, I think that speaks volumes for them. I think that's something that you've instilled in, in me anyway, as a, as a, you know, as being my dad, but it's definitely a Liverpool thing as well that you, you know, you, there's a, there's a thing about being, you know, that you've got to be a good winner and you've also got to be gracious in defeat if you're unfortunate to face it. And that, that's a class act that, that makes me, that's, I've always liked Barcelona, it makes me like them a little bit more. Well, there you go. Really nice people. And I say the fans, the fans' um, reception for the players was heartfelt, I think, as well. And uh, you'll have no doubt had a similar uh, gesture from Luis Suarez as well. Did you manage to catch up with your your, your one-time signing for the club? I never go down. The only time, the only time I'm in ground level is when I walk in or if I'm leaving. I don't go to seek people out to say hello, oh, how you doing? And, but Suarez was a was a fantastic player for us, and for me, it was a wee bit. Surprising to see the reception that he got for the fans at Anfield, which is, I tell you, it's pretty unique as well because it's there's not too many get that. They usually get warmly received, especially for somebody who did a, as much as he did. But he must have upset somebody somewhere along the line. Um, and basically, what he did at, at Barca when he was into people and niggling them, and Wee Robo was one. He get in amongst people, and that's exactly what he did for us. So he was only doing what he actually had done for us. But as I say, the people that come are allowed to express their opinions, and if that's what they felt, then they certainly let it go full blast. Yeah, I think it surprised we, a few. We spoke of... about it on. The... Go on, Eddie. Yeah, they gave uh, Suarez the kickoff, didn't they? Obviously, only one player takes the kickoff now, and that kind of was the first sign that the boos were going to be pretty loud and the atmosphere was going to be. Uh... Pretty, uh, pretty homeward towards Liverpool, if you like. Yeah, no, but I, I, as my dad said, he was only doing what he, we fell in love with him at Liverpool for doing. I think Suarez, Far, Suarez, and almost Salah. We said on the tactics scored more goals last year than, than Suarez did in that year uh, before he left to go to Barcelona. But the the year that Suarez had before he went to Barcelona, in in my memory, is the best season any players had for, for Liverpool. He was absolutely sensational and he always plays on the edge and it, it's funny because he's not like that off the field. Uh, but on the field, he, he, he just epitomises everything that you want in a footballer uh, with determination and, and yeah, it spills over from time to time. But it's always with that ruthless desire to win and I'd have been disappointed if he'd have played any other way. But I also understand Listen, I, I like the fact that the Liverpool fans uh, booed him because it showed that Liverpool's more important than any player, despite how much of a legend he was when he was here. But now I think we can all go back. I don't think that will go on for very long. Uh, Suarez will always, I think, be revered as an absolute legend of the club. Um, and I just think it was during those two games, Liverpool fans showed that Liverpool was more important than, than Luis Suarez, and rightly so. But I think they'll all go away from the game with a similar opinion to we're having that we loved him when he was at Liverpool and he'll be welcome back at Anfield any time as, as long as he's not playing against us. I think I think also f- from the game, I think it was sad to see uh, Coutinho level a play over both games. I, I thought, by the way, he's almost unrecognisable. I don't know what I don't yeah, know what's that... happened to him. I don't know what's happened to him, but before he left does before he left does he was brilliant by the way they would have I, I know what's happened to him because the South American the South American footballers are brought up uh, on Real Madrid and Barcelona and wherever they're playing in the world if they've if they've been offered to go to one of those two clubs I'll tell you I don't I don't know of any but if there was any he must have been a brave guy, not to accept the offer from them and no want to go. So movement is part and parcel of football and it's it's just what people do. I mean there's a lot of people come to Liverpool from other clubs. But I mean everybody thinks it's wrong for a player to leave the club. But if they want to go, let them go. Because they're, they're not doing you any good if they stay. But for Coutinho, we fouls gone he's 
he looks as if he's gone backwards. He looks as if he doesn't have any answers to how he solve his problem of his uh, his recent poor form. Because he was he was he was quite instrumental in us when we before he left. Uh, to your point, Dad, uh, I mean it's I, I know exactly what's what's wrong with him because it, it might be difficult for you. You were uh, obviously you had good spells in your career, bad spells, but there was never really a low point in your career as a player. Uh, and but for most normal players, it, it's a pure confidence thing. If you're if you go there, there's a pressure of expectation of, of playing for Barcelona. He's gone there. Uh, he, he went from being one of the main men at Liverpool to okay, now you've got Suarez, now you've got Messi, uh, and you're basically become a role player. And obviously, when things didn't go well for him at the beginning, he loses his confidence. Then he's overthinking things. He starts playing tight. Once you've lost your confidence, it's very, very difficult to get it back. And I think that's what you're seeing with Coutinho. I think the best thing, it's going to take a lot of, of mental strength to, to come back from that and be successful at, at Barcelona when your own fans are booing you. Um, and it might be the best thing for him might be to, to go back to being more of an important player in a, in a lesser well, team, maybe. Yeah, but I can fully understand what you're saying, but. If he's going to be the most important player in a lesser team, you're not going to get really what you want, and that's to win things, is it? So he's... They, Barcelona is revered, Real Madrid's revered in South America, and he goes there. Surely that, that gives you a boost in itself that they want to sign you, and they bring Maybe you Maybe I in, said it wrong. And you, and Maybe you're I walking said it in wrong, there, a lesser team. But you're, walking, I... but you're walking in there and you've got Messi, Suarez... Uh, and I'd be looking at it and be saying to myself, geez, that no fantastic. Look who I'm yeah, playing with. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying, Dad, but I do think that a lot of players, a lot of kind of playmakers or, or have gone to Barcelona and, you know, Neymar left after a little bit of time, Ibrahimovic left after a little bit of time, Henri left after a little bit of time, Sanchez. I think there's only room for one of those players at Barcelona. And I think that's Messi. Uh, and, and I think that, what you need is you need Messi and role players. What me saying that a lesser club, I, I don't think that's what I meant. I think what I meant was a club without Messi, because I, I, you can only you can only have one player conducting the orchestra if that's the you know in a Messi team. And I think that everybody else plays their role to Messi. He's got that well, kind of iconic status, you know that everything. I mean, they've changed. They've gone away from Bar Barcelona's methodology. Of the four three three, and they're now playing a four four two. Paul, it doesn't matter what they play. He, no, that, right? he he's the one player that, that that in the world at this moment in time, maybe Ronaldo's in, in that category as well. That, and I think he's probably the only player in the world that was more important than the methodology that Barcelona have followed for the last however many years, because he's that important to the club. He's a once in a once in a generation player. Um, and it's been tough for Coutinho. It's tough for Neymar to 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 share that kind of um, that that responsibility. It was tough for Sanchez, Ibrahimovic, John Ray. A lot of great players have gone to Barcelona and left fairly quickly afterwards. Paul, you can't tell me it's no great to play with Messi. And it's not. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's no, it's Messi. no ego. It's great way. to play with Messi. No, it's great oh, to play with Messi if you if you if you play your role and you enjoy it, success and you suit a team that's got Messi in it. Paul, if you're Paul, if was you're, Messi there? Was Messi there before Coutinho went? Yeah. Was Suarez there before Coutinho went? So all the best players were there before he went. So he knew what he was going to play with. Yeah, but what you're saying that should now, be like, in, in that the should first be leg, like, that should be I'm like you in Christmas Day. What? You should be, you should be delighted that you're going to play with them. But, but the, you've the, got to do your own wee bit, and you can have a few bad games. But as you, when he was at Liverpool, he was at the stage where whereby that he was, uh, he was the one that was going to produce a bit of magic. So that, I think you're but, under more pressure. And that Jürgen, than when he was at Liverpool, Jürgen, let me finish. Let me yeah, finish. Go on. Go so on. I think you're under more pressure. Being the best player in the bad team, than what you are playing, maybe the third best player in a great team. 
but it's not about that. It's about well, yes. if you're asked to perform a role that doesn't suit you because there's a better player in the similar oh. role in that team, then he's you're playing not going to be same. successful. He's playing, not, the he's, playing, playing he's playing the, the same role. He's playing the same role more or less than what he did. Really. You, no chance. In the in the first in the first leg, he played. He was asked to just. He was defending as a left midfield player. Then when they transitioned into a three-four-three in attack with Busquets dropping in, he then had to run forward and be the left-hand side of a front three. And and he's just been asked to. The the system is built around Messi, and he's been asked to be a role player. Whereas at Liverpool, it was the opposite way round. He got a little bit more freedom in, in the 4-3-3 than other players get. And Paul, when he Paul, played Depot, you know when he played on the left-hand side, what? You know the problem? Somebody makes one run backwards and they say, oh, he's defending. He played left of three, right? It's Suarez and Messi, who's a free spirit, can go wherever he wants, and rightly so. Alba was running past him. What's he supposed to do? He'd be stepping in field, letting Alba run down the touchline. If the ball was lost, is he no good to cover for the guy that's gone in front of him? Surely it's only logical. He was, he was sent He was sent forward to pin the back four back. He was sent forward. He was worrying that much about what the position he had to be in that he didn't actually think about playing. And and when your confidence is low and you haven't to overthink things, you don't play, you, you, but, you haven't to overthink you don't like the best. The best. The when you play at your best is when you don't have to think too much. And Coutinho's having to think too much at Barcelona because he's having to play a role he's not used to. There's no, no point buying. He's in the same. There's no point he, buying Coutinho and asking him to run up the left hand side of a pitch and 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 just totally take him away from his game. Paul is in the same position or in the same area as what he was when he was at Liverpool, and he's been told to maybe add a little bit more to his game. Right, and if he can't do it, he can't do it. But if he goes, if you're telling me, as you said at the outset, that he's no got the confidence or the belief in himself, and he's a wee bit intimidated, then there's nothing you can do. It doesn't matter how you're asked to play. If he's feeling like that and it's mental rather than talent, there's no coming through, or no being allowed to shine through, or he's terrified. He might be terrified, the Messi. He might be like, "Oh, I can't do this." But you know, is it? So why did you go in the first place? Coutinho still got the same talent and ability he had at our place. So why it can but, but he's it, done it a few thing, times? But Dad, well, he's it, done it, it a few times. It, it he's done it a few times at Barca. And by the way, I think he's just tipped over the edge. And the punters need somebody to get at, and, and again, the and only way it, it's so. Listen, you've always you, what would happen if the Liverpool said to you, right, go and play in the left of midfield? As a creative no. player in a four-four-two, would well, you no, play there? Would you? No, it's sixty-eight years of age. I couldn't play. No, but what would <laughs> what's happened to you? So you're 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 a creative attacking player, and you're told right, go and play on the left-hand side. Would you have had a successful time at Liverpool playing on the left? Paul, I don't know because I was never asked to, right? Well, that, and you that's don't it. know, and you that's don't know it. with Coutinho. With Coutinho, with Coutinho well, you're putting a square peg in a round hole. Why? He played left side for us. But he didn't play. He played, he started on the left-hand side and went wherever he wanted. He can't do that at Barcelona because that's the, the only one that gets that is Messi. Well, like, it doesn't need to go right. Because Messi's normally there. But, but this I is don't understand. Saying. I don't understand. I don't understand the problem with the wee fella. The wee fella's got great talent and ability. And the only thing I could think is something's upset him. Well, it, it, the thing that's upset me is he's he's lost his confidence, and now he's overthink uh, from not playing his natural, his normal role. And oh, then, yes. Okay. Yes. Right. Do you watch every Come game? Come on, Eddie. You don't, Eddie, even, get, you don't, you don't, you don't <laughs> even get Spanish football in in England. Why did? Why we, we have ways and means, Paul? Yeah. But all right. So you? Oh, uh, how? 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 Champions <laughs> League matches. I've seen his Champions well, League go. matches. We get we get the Spanish games over here. Good. Um, it, it's if you, it's, it's like he's been asked to do something that isn't natural to him. You lose your confidence, and then you end up playing the, the fans get on your back, and then it's very, very difficult to perform because everybody's right. watching you. What's next, Ed? 
<laughs> well, moving swiftly on. The uh, okay uh, on the uh, tactics weekly podcast pool before even the the first leg of either semi final, you told Dan Rhodes you expected Spurs to get past Ajax and uh, and Liverpool to get past Barcelona. Now I'm pretty sure uh, with Spurs three 0 down on aggregate at half time in the second leg in Amsterdam, you like the rest of us wouldn't have been holding much hope for Pochettino and his men, but they did overcome it and. Uh, had two incredible semi-finals in the end, and uh, what 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 are your thoughts on on that game in particular? Spurs. I mean, you can't have expected your prediction to be right at halftime in Amsterdam. No, no, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, but I, I just thought that Tottenham would have too much power for them, um, and and if they decided to play that way, and. I just thought that, you know, if you look at Danny Blind and you look at uh, some of the other, they, they, they've got Tadic, you've got players that have been in the Premier League and done okay, but not not fantastically well. And Ajax play this wonderful football, if you allow them to play this wonderful football. But I just felt that if, if, if Tottenham made it a Premier League game, that some of these players would struggle. Now, that didn't prove to be the case for most of the game. I think Ajax... For the first game and uh, the first half of, of the second game, were the better team, no doubt in my mind. And it was only when Tottenham got desperate, they brought on Laurenti and started going a little bit more direct, that they started they started getting the the joy, they started getting the the, the rewards. And you know, when when they did make it a Premier League game, I thought Tottenham Tottenham were were pretty good. But there's no taking away from Ajax being a sensational team, and I'm probably if you're honest, they probably deserve to go through. They should have gone through, really. Well, I don't know how... How do you deserve to go through if you don't score as many goals as the opposition? It doesn't make any difference well, how, how you play, you how you look. You can't the arguments. You, you, you can't, it doesn't matter how you, what you look you, like. Do you know the I'm best, go back, the best Eddie, true result... you go result. back and just play his comment about Barcelona, Liverpool didn't deserve the result in the first leg, and now he's saying that something totally <laughs> different... About no. Tottenham. It's all right, no. don't worry. I, no, I, I remember. I'm not, I'm not at your, I'm not at your age yet. I can still remember what you said 10 minutes ago. Okay. Well, here's another thing you should remember. About three years ago, was it? Mourinho at Old Trafford Europa League final. Two or three years ago, was it? He played Ajax. Ajax were a scintillating team for Holland. Um, that I don't think they've won a, anywhere near anything in 20 odd years in Europe or something so anyway he's going to play against them and he bullied them and they, United beat them 2-0 comfortable victory and that's all Tottenham did Tottenham identified where they might be a bit weak Danny Blind, I think he's a, a really intelligent footballer but he's not going to stand up to people throwing things in the box or running at them Tadic was good for a season at Southampton and tailed off a little bit. So the Tottenham must be looking at them too and saying these these two are equally are as important to Ajax as anybody else. Surely we can beat them. Surely. And yeah, I think yeah. I think Ajax's, Ajax's, Ajax's two best results were both away from home in the Europa League. And they came in at the same stage as Celtic the third preliminary qualifying round. So they've had a fantastic run all the way through. Fantastic. But to win in Real Madrid and to win in Juventus was two fantastic results. The games at home haven't been that successful for them. And that's why Spurs always had a little bit of a chance to go there, even without Kane, to go there and get a victory. And they're a little bit fortunate because they were very relaxed at the start of the the game at Tottenham and Ajax were all over them. They started brightly, Tottenham were a bit sluggish uh, and they turned it round. They got a fantastic result and it'll be a great final between Tottenham and Liverpool. But as I say, Ajax might be back next year stronger and better. They'll, and lose, if they they'll are. lose the best players, Dad. Do you not think they'll lose the best players? Well, they've already lost two, they say. 
They've already lost. Well, uh, well Frankie De Jong's already gone. He's, De Jong's away yeah, in Barca, and, and they think they let all go as well, don't they? In the in in, in the summer. I'd have liked yeah. him at Liverpool. They looked next to Van Dijk. Yeah, I know Matip's been good, but a 19-year-old with that upside Dutch partnership, I'd I'd, I'd uh, quite like to have seen him end up at Anfield. But, but there you go. Which side? And it's only a perception. Which side of the two centre backs do you think uh, Virgil Van Dijk enjoys playing on? Right or left? Yeah, yeah, I know he prefers. Well, play. It, it seems like he prefers playing on the left. Yeah. And that, and Van Dijk's left-footed. No, Van Dijk. Uh, what's his name? Matic. Oh, Matic. 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 He's left-footed, and the two of them play together. So Virgil's got to move over when they play for Holland. Is yeah, that right? So, the, so Virgil plays as the right-sided centre back for Holland, well, and Delit plays as the left. For some reason, there's a there's a. I myth that if you're right footed, you're better off. It's easier for you to play in the left, but a left footer couldn't play in the right. I don't understand it. But anyway, and that, I think that tends to be what happens. That's, they started, uh, against, uh, Germany like that. They were 2-0 down. They get, did brilliantly. They get back to two each and then lost a goal the last kick of the game. So I'm sure they I, could think, I think I think it might just be I think it might just be or it could just be the pre the Virgil's preferences um left side. And if that's the case and he's gone he's your main man by the way. He's been fantastic yeah, fair, Van Dyke for us and and Allison the goalkeeper. Yeah, we'll he's, talk about We'll talk about them in a second when we get on to our Premier League stuff. They are in the agenda. The uh, It will be Spurs that we face uh, in Madrid in the European Cup final on Saturday, the 1st of June. And uh, as happy as I am that Liverpool got to the final, I'm a little gutted today after learning myself and gags like many others of you listening, I'm sure, have missed out on the club's official ticket ballot this afternoon. We're recording this on Thursday. Uh, we'll still be in Madrid, of course, and looking to bring you as much of the build-up as we can. And I was fascinated to hear Paul's uh, mini-tactical preview on his own podcast earlier this week. Uh, you think, Paul, that the only weakness Spurs can exploit in Liverpool is probably their biggest vulnerability to, to Liverpool's strength as well. Could you just expand on that a bit? Well, with with Liverpool, what's the way they defend with uh, Salah and Mane splitting the, the opposition centre-back and full-back and forcing inside is you, they, they almost tempt teams to, to play through the middle. Um, and... To exploit Liverpool, you've really got to have the technical quality to to be able to bypass that pressure that comes from the middle of the pitch and uh, bypass that pressure that comes through the middle of the pitch um, and and with success. And what Liverpool, because if you fail with that that high risk strategy of attacking through the middle of the pitch, Liverpool have players in central positions that can hit you in transition very, very, very quickly on the counter-attack. And, and it's almost like the Venus flytrap. They leave it open, wait for you to bite, and then they, they, they attack you right through it. And um, Tottenham are going to, if they want to try and if they want to try and take advantage of, of Liverpool by overloading the middle and trying to build through it, they, they're going to leave themselves very, very vulnerable if it doesn't work. And then that's the risk that teams have to, have to decide whether they want to take. And I think you've seen it... Um, Barcelona in the first leg had success playing through Liverpool when they, they went into the 3-4-3. Uh, Real Madrid in the final last year. Sevilla, when they played against Liverpool with the Spanish style and, and the ability that they have technically. Um, so that's that would be the way that Tottenham would try and do it. However, when you look through Tottenham's team, who have they really got that can implement it? I just think if you look at the games we've played Tottenham in, uh, even the one at Anfield this year, right at the death, Larissa's, I would say it was a mistake for the goalkeeper. It pushes it out when they could just have put his hand on top of it and it hits Ardavira and end up in the back of the net. Um, last year it was two each. Um, maybe Spurs got a fortuitous penalty, but it was still two each. We beat them this year at, at Wembley. Uh, and last year I think they beat us four, didn't they, at Wembley? So, whether whether you can see where the players are coming from, they've certainly had a, a decent run of games against uh, against Liverpool. I think they're a 
they're a really good side. And I think for us also, what I think has been noticeable for both those teams to get them through, they come back for three goal deficits in the second half. And you look at Tottenham, you look at Liverpool, you see how determined the great desire they have to play and the fitness that they have. I thought Liverpool against Barca, Barca's fitness was, was way lower than what Liverpool's were and the desire to win and run and the quickness and sharpness. And I think Tottenham are the same. And I think Portuccino has done a fantastic job there uh, at Tottenham, not just by getting to the Champions League final, but all throughout his, his tenure there over three years. And I think he's he's as good as anybody that's about, but not as good as Jürgen. And whether Jürgen can pull, uh, pull one over him uh, or remain to be seen, but I think it would be a fantastic final. And I think also for me, I would have preferred that we go Ajax. Yeah, I agree, Dad. I would have rather died. So there's something, there's something that just, I don't know, it just doesn't seem right about two teams from the same country playing each other in a European final. It's, there's just not as romantic, isn't it? It's not, it's not as good a, a story. Cause you're almost like, why are we, why are we traveling to Madrid to, to play this game? Why don't they just play it, uh, next week at, at Wembley? Yeah. I know. How do you feel if you're Chelsea or Arsenal going to Baku? Oh my goodness! Oh dear me! That's just something's gone wrong in the planning with that one, haven't they? <laughs> it's just like... Well, I think it's also disgraceful uh, the way that the dismissive way that the fans are treated by UEFA regards tickets. I don't. I cannot see. I mean, I, I think it's if it's no in writing, it's it was almost a train of thought that if there's going to be a Europa final or a Champions League final, there has to be a minimum 50,000 uh, seated stadium. So how can both clubs get 6,000 each? And I think, how, I think it's all to do with the, it's all to do, and, and I, I totally agree with what you're saying, but I think it's all to do with the logistics of the airport in Baku and how many, how much footfall they could handle within a few days period and stuff like that. I mean, I'm, yeah, a, but, I'm with you, an absolutely shocking choice of venue, but I, I believe that is the logistical reason for the, for yeah, the but, lack of tickets. But how, why, how can you have it there? I, I totally concur that it shouldn't be there, but that is the reason you ain't doing it. Before they have it in somewhere that can accommodate 50,000 people flooding in for a game. Well, oh, there's all sorts. It? I mean, why you've got you one of Arsenal's got... players isn't, is potentially not even going to be allowed to go. I mean, every, every person from the UK needs a visa to travel to the country. I mean, it's crazy. The whole thing's Yeah, but they, they can get a sports visa. They can get a special visa and get some in and out. But for the, for a guy, just because he's born in one country as opposed to another, can he get there to play in the biggest game of the season for his club? That's a joke. That is a joke. Surely you check that out before you even start. And also, the the, the ticket allocation for the fans for the, the Champions League as well. By the way, where's the respect for the fans? You've got to give them some respect. They're the ones that turn out Every every round of the tournament, and watch the football and pay the money to come and watch their team play. And this should be the final should there be a reward. We get them as many tickets as you possibly can. If that's six thousand or eight thousand each, right? See, even ten, it's twenty thousand. Where's the thirty thousand tickets gone? They can't be going to the locals. Well, what happens is UEFA do a ballot as well. I was in the UEFA ballot and I was in the club ballot. Now, the UEFA one was decided before they even knew which teams were going to be in the final about six weeks ago. And those are the tickets, those UEFA tickets, the football family, as they so call it. They're the ones that are now being touted all over the place at four or five grand a pop, not that would have cost three or four hundred pounds. So they're the ones that are being touted, these UEFA tickets. So well, the, the club the, are only dealing what they've got. I missed out on that ballot today, but they would have been face value. You tickets. It's these. It's this UEFA yeah. football family thing that seems to cause the biggest controversy. No, but the football family. Well, by the way, the mum and dads head to the family because they've got to the final. Surely they should get the biggest allocation of tickets. I agree. I suppose until more people speak about the it, the siblings then... that support all the other clubs. Instead of getting money for selling the tickets that really they shouldn't have in the first place, instead of getting money for that. They shouldn't be at the game. No, but it's a one-off, isn't it, with UEFA? They've not done anything 
they've not done anything before had the FIFA and UEFA. I mean, it's not like there's a World Cup in Qatar. Oh, they do it every year. It's not like there's a World Cup in Qatar or anything thing. like that. <laughs> it's the same thing. <laughs> so I'm saying, you, it's look, it all oh, comes down it? to money. It all comes down to money. It all I comes think down it's to money. scandalous. Yeah, it's scandalous. But what 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 can you do to change it? Well, well, I think, I think at the end of the day, at the end of the day, people will get annoyed, and then they'll do exactly the same thing. The wider point year. is, they'll Paul, do exactly surely, the same next year. But surely, other clubs have to be up in arms about it, rather than just the clubs that get to the final. I mean, we've been there the last two years, so we've seen it firsthand. But I don't think you'll see many Everton fans, for example, moaning about the ticket prices at the champ or the allocations at the Champions League final. Well, if they're not going to listen, they need maybe some drastic measures. Just say we're not playing in the competition. You don't have to play. But unless, all the cl- unless all the clubs do it'll that, come it's, down. Not, it's not realistic. That's what I'm it? It'll come down, to, the clubs it'll come down to sponsors. That they, is the sponsors. It's like everything. The sponsors have a lot of the power. We can't have it in one foot where they're saying that we want to play Champions League football. I'm leaving this club because they've not got Champions League football. We need to finish in the top four because that's where the money is. And then... The next year, because the ticket allocations aren't quite enough, the clubs are going to turn around and say, oh, sorry, we'll not bother with this Champions League this year. I mean, that's just never going to happen. Because like, They'll give them four, money give them four year notice. Then they'll no sign anybody with their ambition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's one but little one. I, I think it's scandalous the way they treat people. Absolutely. Absolutely I mean, it's a particular bugbear of mine today on all days where uh, where I've realised I'm not getting a ticket. So I'm not, in a, I'm not in a good mood about it one jot. But I could talk about that all night, but we'll be here all night. So we'll move on and we'll talk yeah. about the Premier League. And uh, through the years and perhaps uh, as I was only 13 years old at the time, Kenny's Liverpool vintage of 88-89 uh, has always been my personal favourite uh, team uh, that's represented the club. And for the first time ever this year, I found myself Wondering if the class of 1819 are on a par or they are even better than that side. Uh, a record points total for the club, losing only one match all season. And individual awards, like Kenny mentioned, for Alison Van Dyke. Uh, Marnie and Salah also uh, with that golden boot share of that with uh, Aubameyang. Record assists from the fullbacks, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson. And uh, of course, when all, when all said and done, no league title to show for it. So uh, just very briefly, Kenny, what are your thoughts uh, on the league campaign that we've just witnessed? Uh, I think it's been uh, fantastic to see the progress that Liverpool have made. And although they never went to the top of the tree, they had some great fun and some fantastic performances to try and achieve to get there. I don't think it's... I think it is relevant to say, if you want to measure it, of, of terms of improvement, that they only lost one game. But it's not really the number of games you lose, it's the number of points you lose that, that, that you add up at the end of the, the day. And Man City got one more point than us. Uh, and I think when, you, when you're when you in a competition that's as tight as, as what this one is, I think that's when you need to make sure uh, if you take points off your closest rivals, it's a huge advantage to you. And I know people can look back and say, well, Manny's was a fraction from going in at, at the Etihad, uh, or it'd have been a draw, and the one that, uh, City's got at Burnley when it was just over the line. Um, I mean, you can, you can knuckle it down to everything. Everybody's, we had a good bit of fortune with, with Everton when they keep a touch on the bar. We had a good bit of fortune when Larry's pushed it out to his feet. But I think the head-to-head with Man City, where they took three points more than us, obviously proved decisive. Um, I think we've done fantastically well uh, to be where we are, to do what we've done. And it was great going along to Anfield, watching them play. Going away games, watching them play as well. They've been fantastic this season. And I think this year was uh, one of the few times where you could say that nobody lost the league, someone won it. And Man City proved to be worthy winners, and you, you congratulate them. There's nothing else you can do. You, you offer your congratulations to them, um, maybe through gritted teeth, because you'd rather, obviously, rather it was yourself. But <laughs> and to go so close and get such a huge number, third, third mo- most points uh, in Premier League history, and you don't win it, but that tells you the the quality of the opposition. But we can be very, very proud and pleased with what we did and I think for us 
it's only it'll be onwards and upwards. And in the past, Paul, notably under Gerard Houllier, Rafa Benitez, Brendan Rodgers, we've failed to build on our second place finishes. Uh, Mark Lawrenson and Jan Molby have both been on podcasts with us this week and both have said that, that they, they feel it'll be very different this time around. So in your opinion, what areas can we make those marginal gains to uh, scratch that 30-year itch? Um, I, I think that... I think this is a difficult one. I think they're right that in, in previous years you've what's happened at the end of it, you've normally had a a unique season that has ended up with your best player getting sold because the the success of that season has been recredited to an individual, not the team really. And I think after uh, you know, after Rafa's teams we've lost Alonso we lost uh, eventually Torres when when you were there, Dad. We lost Mascarano. We we've lost we've lost key pieces um, that were difficult to replace. We lost Suarez. We lost Sterling after the last run. Now, I think I might end up falling flat my face here, but I think this team they all look happy to be at Liverpool. I don't think any of them have got an eye on a move somewhere else. And the thing that you've seen with this team is it's not been an overnight, it's not been an overnight change. They, they, in the four years, seasons that Jurgen Klopp's been at Liverpool, every year they've scored more goals and conceded less. Now, sometimes you can get lucky or unlucky in a game, but if you look at the goals over a period of time in the season, if you score the most goals and you, you concede the fewest, and then you score more the next and, and concede fewer, and you do it four years in a row, there's a continual improvement of the team. And I think Liverpool have got stronger each year. And that's why I see this this team being successful for for a number of years. If you're asking where it can improve, I, I think it's very, very... I think you've got to be careful that you don't overthink it just because Man City are as good as they are. I think you've got to put things into perspective. This is the third best ever points total that any teams had in the top flight in England not just Premier League back to when football began in the first division um, so it's it's an incredible incredible Liverpool team I, my dad said yeah if, if you can it might be a tactical thing how do we make sure that we get more points off Man City when we play them because we've got the best chance of taking points off Man City out of all the teams if we do it right with the level of our team um, and uh, the other thing that I would say is just depth. I think we've got to look for depth. I think we've got to try and find depth. If you look at our team, I do think if you look, Man City need to bring in some players, uh, in, 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 in the summer. But if you look, they've nearly got two players for every position. If you look at us, we don't. And I think that it's about bringing in, I don't, I think it's only very difficult to bring in players that, will improve the starting eleven, but we've got to bring in players that will push the starting eleven to, to keep their place. I think I think because you're a success could make it more difficult to attract players to come in. Because I would have thought there'll be some of the boys that haven't been involved as often as they would have liked who might move on. Uh, there's a couple of guys at the end of the contract, they might move on. But for me a few because they performed so well. I mean, it's difficult to imagine two of the three joint goal scorers, the best uh, record for clean sheets, twenty-one, and yet Man City still have a better goal difference than us. Then you look at say, well, who if if you're a player and you're saying, well, where am I going to get a game? Liverpool are so good; they've got the, they had the best record this year. Uh, of substitutions or substitutes scoring or assisting in goals. I mean, there's, there's so many things he did right that, and so many good players that you start to think to yourself, well, hold on a minute. Why would I go there? I'm not going to get a game. I'm not going to get a game, am I? Or I'm going to be left too. So I'm going to be sat on the bench. And I think it's going to be difficult for them to replace. Or no replay, don't need to replace anybody because I don't think anybody will be leaving. But to get the, as Paul said, the strength and depth for your squad, I think it's going to be difficult. I think Liverpool are an attraction. 
but I also think that sometimes you could be a you could be punished for your own abilities and success. And if you win the European Cup, people say, "Oh, well, people want to go there because it's uh, you're like Champions League winners and whatever." Yeah, but they also want to play, and you don't want people in there that's going to be walking about moping and causing problems in the dressing room. You need a happy dressing room, and I think the dressing room at, at uh, Liverpool and that Jurgen's created is is a very happy dressing room, and I think you see that when they come on. And I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's just luck that you've got the substitutes coming on and making huge contributions to our results and affecting it positively. So I think it's uh, you don't want to be punished for your success, and let's just hope that that that's not the case either. We can't go just to fill up numbers. You need quality. Yeah, excellent point. The uh, a couple of things from listeners that have come in whilst uh, whilst we've been off air the last few weeks. Uh, the first of which comes from. Uh, a listener of the show, Ryan Watson from Money Thief up here in Scotland. His 11-year-old daughter, Isabella, is a huge Liverpool fan and also a footballer herself with uh, Dundee East Girls under 13s. Now at her school called Seaview Primary, they're doing a project on sporting icons from the 1980s, which takes me back to something I watched about Jockey Wilson last night. And she's put uh, an amazing dossier together of all things Sir Kenny Dalgleish to share with her classmates. Now, Isabella would love a shout-out from King Kenny with uh, wishing her well with her presentation. So a nice, easy one. Uh, Isabella, I think you could have chosen a better subject. Uh, I just hope that uh, you've told the truth and I just hope you enjoyed writing your article uh, I hope you enjoy going through the investigative part of it as well. And uh, maybe if if Eddie sends me your your contact details, and maybe send you a wee surprise. But good luck. I think the subject matter could have been a better choice. But anyway, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I'm sure Eddie will get a hold of it, and we'll send you a wee present. I will do that lovely gesture there. Uh, as I say, it would have been Jockey Wilson for me any day of the week. Well, quite if I, right. If I write something about you, will you send me something? <laughs> I have Paul. to speak to you every, every speak to you for an hour, <laughs> and I get nothing. You get the pleasure. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's all mine. Now, I, the, I the, fi- the final question comes from uh, Jason Pettigrove, and Jason's the content editor of the official uh, FC Barcelona social media account. He was on a podcast actually with Gags last week, uh, doing news rounder. Very, uh, v- very classy, as like what Kenny was saying about the president of Barcelona. A uh, very congratulatory to what uh, Liverpool achieved on that momentous occasion. His question is for Kenny, and it says, uh, "Were you surprised at how ineffective Lionel Messi was for most part of the match at Anfield?" And in your opinion, is Lionel Messi the best footballer of all time? Well, it's it's difficult to say what one's the best. I mean, how do you define the best? His goal-scoring record, everything else, has been fantastic. He's uh, an absolute joy to watch, unless you're in opposition to him. And some of the things he does, I mean, the goal he scored, <laughs> the new Camp, the third one, was unbelievable. The free kick. I mean, as soon as it was given, I said, oh, he's no chance for there. Straight in the back of the net, but Messi, yeah, he, he must be, didn't he? We've just they say who who would normally it's Messi or Ronaldo, but by the way, are we not just fortunate that we've got to see the two of those players at the peak of their career? I think we're lucky that we got those two, and I think the both of them are comparable with anybody like Messi or or maybe the Messi and um, Messi is. As good as anybody that I've seen. Uh, Pele, never saw a lot of Pele. Maradona, unfortunately, he got a wee bit tarnished with, with the accusations of drugs. Um, Ronaldo is fantastic. Messi's fantastic. Yeah. How would you pick it? I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. But it is a, he is a fantastic player. He is a fantastic player. And I think the stats will tell you how good he actually is. Is it easier for you to say your favourite then? Because you can, it's only your opinion, isn't it? It's only your, I know you don't like getting involved in those conversations, but so it, rather than saying who's the best because it's so subjective, what's, what's objective is who's 
who's been your favourite to watch? Yeah, or do Paul, you even have a favourite? It depends. One week it could be Ronaldo, and next week it could be Messi. Mm. It depends which match you get on the telly. Yeah. As, I mean, how do you... It's, it, in some ways, it's a bit irrelevant to say who's the best. Right? I, think, I just think we've been fortunate that we've seen two unbelievably good players, gifted players, make huge contributions to their teams. Maybe why you could maybe even argue if they're looking for a discussion about Ronaldo's done more for his national team than Messi. I don't know, but as I say, I just before they say thanks very much for the memories. And it is all of- about opinions, Paul. You you stated I think you got into a bit of a a, a Twitter debate on this last week. Uh, you kind of summed it up in that you thought that uh, Ronaldo was would be the greatest player in the world in any era, uh, but uh, Messi is the greatest player of all time, in your opinion. It is all about opinions, as you say. Yeah. yeah I, I just think that Messi, Messi for me, is the best is the best I've, I've seen. And, and not only just past the eye test, but past the numbers test as well. You know, he scores, he scores goals, he, he's a, he has assists, and the numbers are phenomenal. But then even if you want to go deeper into the stuff that my dad doesn't like, the, the XG chain, which is, if he's involved, XG chain is basically if you're involved in the move that a goal scored from, but you, it's not the goal or the assist. So say it's the pass before the oh. square ball to the assist. He's got the highest numbers in that as well. He's just, he's just a, he's an absolute phenom. Um, and I, I don't, I don't care what people do for the national team just because that, you know, some people care about playing for the national team. Some people don't care about playing for the national team. Some people don't like going to tournaments because they're away from home for too much and they, they don't like being away from home. And for me, it's the Champions League is the true indicator of the best player in the world because it's the best player in the world against the best players. It's the best players in the world against the best players in the world, regardless of where you were born. For me, the World Cup is only the best players from each country against the best players from another country. And not only that, you have to be born in a time where there's other great players that were just so happened to be born in that same country at the time. So I just think that the World Cup, there's so much that comes down to luck about where you're born how many other players were born in the country at the same time? Whereas the Champions League, it doesn't matter where you're born, what year you're born in. The Champions League is still the elite level of competition that you can play in as a footballer, in my opinion. So I don't place any, I don't place any importance on what people do with their international teams. But does it, so depending where you're born, obviously depends who you're eligible to play for. But also yeah. who you play for is also dependent on who's got the most money. For a club team, so but when you look at the teams that win the Champions League, it's usually pretty wealthy clubs, Paul. I get that. So there's, there's a rider, the... there's a rider for everything. But as I say, and as you rightly say, there's, 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 what, which one of them is a bad player? No, no, no that's right. Saying which one's the best? There's none of them yeah. a bad player. The two, the two no. of them are brilliant players. And do you know? Players. Do you know what? In a way. In a weird kind of way, I think, although we have the argument who's better, I think both of them are better by playing at the same time because I think they've pushed each other to new levels. Just like I think Man City and Liverpool are better this year because they pushed each other to new levels. I think for the last 10 years, Messi and Ronaldo have pushed each other to new levels to be even better and motivated each other to be better. And I don't think that you'd have one would have had as much success without the other one pushing No, I don't know about that. I certainly think it's more important that you're pushing yourself for your team, not to get past another another individual. If you want to get individual products, you should have taken up golf. Yeah, I get I get that, Dad, but it, it is it is um it is it is a it is a motivation, you know, that they're motivated to be with whether they've been motivated to be better as an individual. They've been pushed to be better as an individual. If it's media pressure, fan pressure, things whatever like it things else. like the balloon door and stuff like that all yeah. has an impact, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Impacting yeah. who? 
it ha- well, it has an impact on fans' perceptions and media's perceptions, like what Paul just said there. I'm not saying that... Aye, but Paul's not talking about quantifying what the, the players' uh, desire to be successful with what fans think. He's talking about himself, isn't he? He's talking about them themselves. No, but the, well, other, the it, other part of it, Dad, they, they were By both, the way, they, you go out to do the best you possibly can. I, can, I don't think you need any greater incentive than that. And the greatest incentive I had was after a game on a Saturday, you could smile if you won. And that's it. You that's it. You worked I, I all would, week to get a result would, and you want to enjoy yourself for that night off you've got. I would say that there is a, there is a little something to add, though. I get what you're saying, Dad, about the best thing is is your team winning and you've won at the end of the day. But they were both competing for the two biggest rivals in Spain. So although they were competing individually against each other, they were also competing for their teams against each other for most of this. So it was the Real Madrid, Barcelona, uh, you know, two titans going at it and they were the figurehead of both teams. So although it was, they were elevating, they were, by elevating the team, they were also elevating themselves. And I, I think it was just, uh, you know, if, if, if Messi had been playing in England and Ronaldo had been playing in Spain, then you might not have had this rivalry where they pushed each other as hard. And who won, and who won if it was head-to-head with Barca or Real Madrid over the length of their contracts there? Who, who was the better? Who got the better results? More success? I have no idea. Do you? Yeah. I think it starts with a B. Right. So the, the little fellas, Domestically. Yeah, certainly yeah. domestically anyway. Yeah. But Champions League is, is Jesus Real Madrid. They won four and a bounce, didn't they? So it's so, all it's six and a half a dozen again. <laughs> it's six and a half a dozen again. Well we all three of us take Just satisfied. enjoy. Just enjoy the moment because <laughs> it's been a fantastic moment. Well we all three on this show take satisfaction in the fact that Messi's uh public ambition that the Champions League was his uh, big goal this year is not going to happen so we're, we're quite happy we're going to Madrid and not him <laughs> and I think he might a... have got your ticket Eddie <laughs> I know so it's, a, it's a pity I don't know some club legends isn't it uh, <laughs> it's a pity well, that it's a pity the club legends don't know what's happening with tickets <laughs> yeah well I'm sure you'll be informed before me <laughs> <laughs> and that draws us to a close of this latest episode of The King and AI. And uh, as ever, please do give us your feedback. The best way is on our uh, free Discord community. Uh, all Liverpool fans are invited to sign up there. It's at anfieldindex.com forward slash Discord. Alternatively, do tag us to uh, feedback on Twitter. We are respectively at Kenneth Dalgleish, at Dalgleish Paul, or to at Eddie Gibbs or at Anfield Index Pro. All being well, we'll be back with another King and AI podcast after Liverpool have become champions Europe, champions of Europe for the sixth time, or he's hoping anyway. And uh, just that important reminder once again, if you enjoy listening to these shows uh, just as much as we enjoy making them for you, then uh, all we ask you to do is that one thing. Please head over to anfieldindex.com forward slash MDA and do whatever you can to help uh, with the Marina Dalgleish appeal. So all that remains me to thank the fantastic Paul Dalgleish. Thank you very much. And as ever, the incredible Liverpool legend that is Sir Kenneth Dalgleish. Thank you, Edward. And remember to send that for the reveal. I'll sort that out with you as soon as we finish. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And as ever, we'll draw the show to a close uh, in the capable hands of uh, Mrs. Kelly Cates. Thanks very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. There is one more thing that you could do, but it doesn't really require any effort. If you use Amazon, if you go to smile.amazon.co.uk, there's an option to select a charity. If you select the Marina Dalgleish appeal, then every time you make a purchase at Amazon, they will make a donation to the charity. All you have to do is use smile.amazon.co.uk as your website to buy things from Amazon. It should, in theory, be quite straightforward. Thanks very much again. Podcast Network.